You're listening to the Public Health Epidemiology Careers Podcast, Episode 64. Welcome to the Public Health Epidemiology Careers Podcast, where we explore public health epidemiology careers and share tips and strategies to help you enter or transition into the field. And now your host, Dr. Charlotte Hughes-Huntley. Greetings, everyone, and thank you for joining me on this episode. This episode is going to feature my friend, Dr. Anthony Pothalakis. He is the author of Arteries in Harmony. And let me just read to you a little information here that is on the back of his book, and it gives the best description and introduction. He says, I'm a practicing cardiologist and passionate about prevention. As a society, we have a serious job to do, defeating the obesity, diabetes, artery disease epidemic. I want to see the rates of obesity and diabetes down to the levels they were 50 years ago. To achieve this, we cannot simply rely on doctors and nurses, hospitals and universities. Me, you, and all of us in the community need to fight against sugars, prolonged sitting, and have a zero tolerance policy for high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and smoking, and learn what gives this epidemic strength and what its weak points are. We must band together and fight the enemy in our schools, our workplaces, and our homes, day in and day out. Now, Dr. Pothalakis, and he commonly says, call me Dr. Anthony. So Dr. Anthony, was uh, he was born in Greece. He studied medicine, mathematics, and philosophy. He worked as a physician in England, the U.S., and Greece. He completed his residency in internal medicine in Ohio and a fellowship in cardiology also in Ohio. I am honored to have him on the show as my guest. I think that um, you will really be I don't know. It's it'll you'll be happy that you tuned in for the full episode. I really encourage you to listen all the way through. It's a great conversation. He's full of energy and he's got great ideas. I think the two of us get really excited about the topic and I think you'll be able to hear that. But what's really impactful is he really calls, you know, to the need for the partnership with healthcare and public health, you know, with doctors, medical doctors and scientists. And there's just a lot of power in what we can take to the community. And and um, I, I don't want to try to spoil it, but it's just, that's the introduction I'm giving to you. Um, and without any further ado, let's jump right into that interview. And then I'll be back at the end to wrap up. So Dr. Yeah, Anthony, sure. thank you so much for joining me on this episode. I'm really excited to have you here. Yeah, Dr. Handley, thank you very much. I'm very, very happy to be on your program. Awesome. Well, I've already told the audience a bit uh, about you in the introduction, but in your own words, could you just tell tell them a little bit about yourself, just what you're doing and um, the type of patients that you treat? Oh, absolutely. Um, I started as a, an interventional cardiologist in my career in medicine, and I practiced this for almost 20 years. And uh, this last five years, I have become a clinical cardiologist, meaning that I no longer perform uh, procedures like putting stents in the arteries of people who have heart attacks. Instead, I see uh, uh, patients in the office, and most of these patients are about what uh, the diseases that we're discussing, diabetes, high blood pressure, some of them have had heart attacks or heart failure, but uh, most of them are at 
relatively early stage of diseases so we can impact the uh, principles of prevention and help them avoid the heart attacks and the heart failures. Uh, one thing that I, I would like to say is that early uh, in my career, as I was learning medicine during my residency and fellowship, which unfortunately is, is too long, it, it was almost a decade, mm. um, I studied intensely philosophy and mathematics. And the reason was uh, I wanted to explain what other physicians used to call the art of medicine. They thought that there are some cognitive skills that we physicians learn, and there are also some other skills that are taught by experience and by uh, doing things that could not be possibly expressed in any other way. And, and that bothered me because as, as a high school student, I love mathematics and science, and I, I thought this should be the basis of everything including medicine. And, and this uh, has influenced my career very much because although I was working as a medical doctor, I also had a little bit of a critical point of view of medicine. I did not completely buy 100% the, uh, the status quo of medicine throughout my career. That's interesting. Now, like, when did you really become, I guess, interested or really passionate about prevention? Yeah, that was, uh, I think, 2007 was really the year that uh, um, I changed drastically in that respect. Uh, I had been an attending cardiologist for many years, performing procedures. And at that point, I realized that just by helping one patient at a time, it was not enough. Mm -hmm. uh, if I were to use a, a money metaphor, uh, we're leaving too much money on the table. There was an untapped potential of prevention that we're not taking advantage of. Uh, people at early stages without any symptoms, they, just, they were just overweight or they had a little bit of uh, high blood pressure, borderline blood sugar, and we're doing nothing. We're so passive at that stage. But when they were uh, ready to die from a heart attack, I mean, everybody got excited and uh, we would uh, mobilize all resources and do expensive procedures to uh, gain just a fraction of what could have been gained a decade uh, earlier had we focused more on prevention. That's really interesting because that's I've heard that you're not the first person, first physician to actually, you know, make that sort of statement. I, I've heard that before, and that the um, the way it was described to me before was just that he felt as though he was sort of uh, his hands were tied because he was treating one patient at a time. Yes. And at that point, you know, didn't have the time to go into depth to do any you know, real teaching and training, but just kind of treating the issue that was in the forefront and not the underlying situation. Correct. Yeah. Now, this um, brings me to the book, which I am so excited about from the time I first saw the book. And then I started digging into it and, and learning about you. I've just been really excited. I have this book in my hand as we're speaking. But um, oh, thank you very much. Yeah, this, the book is um, Arteries in Harmony. Tell me, uh, tell us uh, about this book. Like, you know, who is it for? And how did you, where All did right. this come from? Okay, uh, let me say maybe a few things about the title. Okay. Why Arteries? It amazed me in, in my career that uh, 
patients would come with uh, diabetes, high blood pressure, uh, heart attacks, and they would focus as the area, the anatomic area of the problem being something else. Whereas in reality and in practical terms, uh, diabetes is, is a disease primarily because it hurts our arteries and we get heart attacks and strokes. This is how more diabetics die. They don't die of uh, high blood sugar. The same holds true with high blood pressure. And even heart attacks that we think is the heart is actually the arteries of the heart that have the problem. So uh, I wanted to show the centrality of arteries to, oh. to the non-healthcare professionals that mm -hmm. the arteries are central as they serve every organ, including brain, the master, and heart, another important organ, uh, it is eventually the destruction of our arteries through a bad metabolism that gets us in these uh, diseases like diabetes, high blood pressure. Now, uh, this is my second book on prevention and the problems with uh, metabolism, obesity, diabetes. My first book uh, was called Abdobesity. I wrote it between 2008 and 2012. It took me almost four or five years to uh, complete. I wrote it with a collaborator. Uh, and there I put more emphasis on how a bad metabolism and the abdominal obesity, the fat in the belly, actually destroys our arteries. And what the timeline is, that the destruction takes decades and is completely silent. You have zero symptoms. And then when the cholesterol plaque becomes unstable, within a minute, you're suffering a huge heart attack or a stroke or you die. So 12 o'clock, you're perfect. 12.01, you may be dead. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I thought that this timeline of the atherothrombotic process, so to speak, was not well communicated to the public. Then the decision for this second book, Arteries in Harmony, uh, was made because after I finished the first book, uh, I thought that uh, the world was ready for an all-out war against what I call the cardiometabolic disease. That is the obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease epidemic. Mm -hmm. And I saw that in reality, there was no warfare. I mean, we had such a cozy attitude towards food and feeding, and I couldn't believe it. I wanted to give the sense of urgency that we have as a human species. I mean, we don't understand how unique these times are. Mm -hmm. uh, as we talked before, 1958, there was 1% uh, of the U.S. population were diabetics, and now it's 10%. Yeah. Within 60 years, it went from 1% to 10%. Obesity was 10% back then, and it's 40% now. These are dramatic changes, and, and the consequences are diabetes, high blood pressure, heart attacks, strokes, heart failures, or these diseases. We know they follow. Mm -hmm. This is a consequence. Uh, it's not a black box when you get a heart attack. There are things that have happened before. So I was seeing that the, both the individual and the society were a little bit too soft. Uh, and the second thing that I, I realized while writing this book is that these diseases, obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, have both an individual and a society community face. Uh, on the on the one hand, it is of course the individual choices, what you eat, how much you exercise. Uh, but on the other hand, it's also what the society puts you or makes you do. The child will go to school, and the teacher will say, "This is your chair. This is your desk. Sit." Mm -hmm. So here we are having this tremendous childhood obesity problem, and we invite 
kids to sit. We are teaching them all the bad habits to sit and we'll give them candies. And all your, your employer will tell you, you know, this is your desk and your computer and, and you have to sit for, for eight hours. Is it then only your fault that you don't move around yeah. <laughs> and that you spend most of the, the day sitting? So there is this duality. Both the individual and the society need to be held accountable for what we're doing and what is happening. I think that's an excellent point. Um, and I love to hear your passion for this because I have these feelings sometimes when I think about, you know, I'm going to crusade for walking. I walk every day. That is my, my go-to exercise. And I do lots of things to get myself moving. And I feel like, especially within sometimes in my familiar circles, my family, my friends, and people that have, I know, also diabetes and other chronic conditions, you know, they'll joke or tease that, oh, you're walking too much, or you're going to be so tired. It's almost like I'm the oddball because I'm really, I've got this, you know, warrior, you know, attitude sometimes. Where I'm, no, we've got Absolutely. to get moving. I've got to do something. I've, I can't just sit on this yes. information. Yeah, this, this is the right attitude. And, and now that you talk about exercise, I think that it's really very unfortunate that scientifically we have come out and uh, recommended to people to walk at least 30 minutes a day, five days a week. And this at least has been lost as a message. So people think that, that walking 30 minutes a day, five days a week is sufficient. It's nothing. Right. It's nothing. It's like, like we give somebody $600 and you say, this is uh, the money that you have to live for a month. Right. This is, this is nothing. With all my research to collect material for this book, The Others in Harmony, I became very fascinated with the paleo lifestyle, the lifestyle mm. of the caveman. As much as we, we can understand our brother from the old times, uh, he was uh, performing moderate impact aerobic activity like walking on uneven terrain for two to four hours every day seven days a week, between six and 10 miles a day on uneven terrain, every day. This is not 30 minutes of walking. Mm -hmm. And on top of this, he would lift stones, he would climb on trees, he would do a million other things. Uh, and he had to work hard for the food that he would eat. Is there a part of the book here, the one that we're referring to, Arteries in Harmony, that talks about physical activity? Yes, yes. I mean, it, it is in multiple uh, parts of the book, but it's mostly on the chapter on um, what is a healthy lifestyle, okay. which is uh, chapter six. I talk about uh, physical activity, and uh, I think that the benchmark should be uh, the activities of the caveman, of the paleo lifestyle, mm -hmm. the two to four hours of moderate pace. I mean, this, this guy was not running. He was not running for two to four hours. He was walking, but it was in an uneven uh, terrain. So, so he, he wouldn't have these repetitive uh, motions that we have when we uh, run on the treadmill, which is, you know, the same joints under the same uh, mechanical stressors. And therefore, we end up with knees that hurt and joints <laughs> that are worn out. Um, and, and then he would complement the uh, cardio or aerobic activities with strengthening, which is very, very important. I'm finding this extremely fascinating, how we doctors have neglected for decades to emphasize the need for strengthening activities, and we just emphasize the cardio or aerobic. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm saying this because muscle 
is, is a very important, is a key player in, in keeping our metabolism healthy. And is one of the very few organs that is responsive to exercise even as we age. Most other organs, as we age and beyond our biologic prime that unfortunately comes too soon in life when mm-hmm. we're about 20, as opposed to most organs, our muscles, if we invest enough time uh, doing uh, strengthening exercises, they will keep improving uh, and we can develop good muscles. And I'm, do- I'm not talking about uh, bodybuilding here. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about uh, well-toned muscles like the, the muscles of the caveman, what we can see in uh, today's uh, tribes. There mm-hmm. are a few tribes that we think they have a similar lifestyle. So this type of muscles determine the health of our metabolism. And a, a good metabolism is our best defense against diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, all these diseases that we are discussing. And it's very hopeful that even into our 80s and 90s, we can develop muscles, but we have to work at it. Yeah. The, the diabetic doctors were the, the first to say, you know, on top of what you do as a cardio exercise, we want you to do 10 minutes of uh, light or moderate weight every other day. Hmm. And I, I think five to 10 minutes every day, this is what I, I, I try to achieve for myself. Five to 10 minutes every day. Some days I, I can't do it, uh, but I, I do it at least five days a week. And this, we're not talking again about heavyweights. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't strain. Straining is bad for us. It increases the blood pressure, especially in the aorta. The uh, professional weightlifters, they get aneurysms. Mm-hmm. Their aortas burst. The blood pressure goes as high as 300 when they strain. We don't want strain. Strain also can cause hernias. Mm-hmm. We're talking about light to moderate weight. And we have several uh, major uh, muscle groups and if you go on YouTube, you're, you're going to see uh, an abundance of uh, exercises that are appropriate for any age and any stage of development that are uh, very good for, for our muscles. And, and, and I put tremendous emphasis on uh, strengthening uh, exercises. Hmm, I love that. I can't wait to dig into this um, this book a little further. This is going to be great. I was rem- When you were describing all that, I was remembering a visit with um, my mother is 85 and we have the same primary care, family care um, that we visit. And our physician was actually talking to her about strength building exercises that she can do at home. And he came up with a way to make it really practical for her at her age. He said, you know, do you have an old purse and maybe like a frozen bag of vegetables? And, and he gave her like the easy things that she could remember. Use an old purse and they, you know, use it on your leg and lift your leg. He's showing her exercises that she could do really easily. And uh, she actually did. She followed absolutely. what he said. So I thought that was really great. Absolutely. Yes. There are age-appropriate strengthening exercises. If I may re- return for just half a minute to your question about who this book is for. Yes. Uh, I would say there are two types of audiences. The one is the wider audience, anyone who would like to learn a little bit more about uh, how the belly fat becomes eventually diabetes, anyone who has heard 
type 1, type 2 diabetes, they confuse what is type 1, type 2, uh, what is blood pressure, high blood pressure, uh, what is the connection between this, what is metabolic syndrome, uh, what is a healthy lifestyle, because healthy lifestyle is much more than just diet and exercise. Mm-hmm. It's uh, also how we sleep, how we work, whether we get appropriate immunizations and, and a host of other things. It's not just uh, diet and exercise. And then uh, this book is also, and this is my big vision uh, for the book, is for um, people who care not only about themselves, but they want to do the best for their families, their loved ones, their uh, friends, their social contacts, their co-workers. To me, this is the way to fight and win. We should embrace movement and uh, revolt against sitting. And I hope that I will be able to share these views with enough people that eventually, in many areas of the society, uh, these people will force the change. They will be sitting on school boards that will say, come on, what are we doing with our kids? We invite them to sit. Are you, are you serious? <laughs> really? Kids that are healthy? And we know that a third of them will become overweight and obese and we, we, we tell them to sit. Mm-hmm. You know, and if a child is, is standing up and moving around, you say, oh, you, you have to sit, sit down. down. What are yeah. you, doing? <laughs> you cannot concentrate. Sit down. And the same should hold true for the workplace. This is the other big uh, area. I mean, it's uh, completely impractical to, to believe that somebody is going to spend nine, ten hours in the workplace sitting and then an hour, another hour commuting and seven hours sleeping and then find time to be on the treadmill for two, three, four hours to do what he needs to do. It, it can happen. There are not enough hours in the day. We should be able to do some low-impact aerobic activities during our work time at the workplace without our productivity suffering. We have to re-engineer the workplace. I agree. And I think this is entirely feasible, entirely feasible. Yeah, that is, that's really ex- exciting and inspiring because um, I have worked from remotely from my home. I have an office in my home and I, you know, to back it up a little bit, I, I spent many years working in, in healthcare and I worked in hospital laboratories and we're constantly on the move. And then even with state public health, we were constantly moving around the lab, always in motion around the building. When I transitioned to working from my office at home, it was a big adjustment because then I was sitting for hours and hours and hours staring at my computer screen. And I have multiple screens in this office now, but over the last couple of years, I've changed a lot of things in the office. I I invested in a stand-up desk, an electric desk, and I have a mat and I do a lot of movement throughout the day and purchased different small bits of equipment so I can take breaks and do work without necessarily having to, like you said, I don't, my productivity doesn't suffer. In fact, it helps me be more productive overall throughout the day. So I do the the same, exactly the same. I I strictly monitor how much time I spend sitting and most of the days, I, I don't sit more than four to four and a half hours per mm-hmm. day. Uh, I have managed even to, to be uh, standing during my breakfast and lunch. And uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't hurt me anymore. Actually, it helps me control how much I eat better. <laughs> and I have standing desks both here and at work. 
Yeah. Yeah. This is great. I, this, I feel better now that I've, I've heard you say all these things. I don't feel like I'm such an oddball in some of the ideas I have and, and the things that I've been doing and, and definitely the drive. Um, so that's, that's really great to hear all this. You know, I believe that there's a huge benefit in healthcare and public health collaborations, much like what we're doing here, you know, providing resources and initiatives and, you know, we can really begin to have a positive impact on the communities that we care about. Um, and I'm sure you agree with that from everything that you're saying, we're on the same page with this. Would you have some encouragement? Would you say that to the people that are listening to this podcast? Would you encourage more of those types of collaborations? Oh, absolutely. I think it's a necessity for us to win the war against the obesity, diabetes, artery disease epidemic. Uh, we need the collaboration between uh, the clinicians and the uh, public health uh, scientists. It's the duality of the individual and the population. And again, the unit of population is the individual. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so we need both skill sets. And we, we need the brainstorming and the innovation and also the, the, the mechanics of how you fight the war, practically how you're doing it. I mean, it, it almost needs to be run as a military campaign and the uh, public uh, health officials and scientists, they know this better than we clinicians do. We are more used to one-to-one, working with one mm-hmm. patient. Uh, on the other hand, what we can bring to the table is that we understand patients. We've seen so many thousands of them that even before they open their mouth, we understand what they think. And if we're going to uh, recommend exercise or quit smoking or do this or, or do that, we see in their eyes what they think and what they feel and where there is true resistance. And, and this is something that if you just study the population, you may not be able to grasp it, mm-hmm. you have to uh, look the other person into the eyes, the one-to-one, spend time, invest time, and understand the, the messages that the other person is giving you. So we need both the uh, epidemiologist and the clinician. And we need to, to move fast. I think that uh, this uh, epidemic does not give us too much time to, to remain idle or mm-hmm. be uh, cozy and soft against it. Uh, And in particular, since sometimes when we talk to patients or to people and we recommend things, if we say too much, they get confused. I singled out two important things that would be important to focus for the next five to 10 years, sitting and sugars. So if we focus on sitting and sugars and say, you know, uh, let's as a first stage, uh, try to limit sitting to six hours a day or replace at least 50% of our sitting time with different activities, standing, moving, roving, something. And also, food-wise, let's fight hard against refined grains and sugars. Let's leave the fats a little bit aside uh, because we we cannot win on all fronts. Mm -hmm. And and the other thing that I believe uh, diet-wise is that we have to acknowledge that food should give us pleasure. Mm -hmm. You cannot tell people that you will be eating bland food for the rest of your life. I mean, <laughs> this is really depressing. <laughs> right. I, I, I refuse to do that. Mm-hmm. I refuse to do that. We are human beings. We want to get some kind of pleasure out of food. Mm-hmm. So uh, we cannot uh, fight both the fats and the sugars at the same time. And I think the uh, 
uh, we should fight uh, the sugars at, at the highest priority. The sugars is, is enemy number one uh, food-wise. Mm-hmm. So that's really great because those of you in the audience that are listening to this, if you have your degree, if you're struggling trying to find a position, find a job, really find a cause. I say this all the time. Really get clear about what you care about, the population, the people, the 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 disease, the condition, you know, get really clear about what you're passionate about in public health. And then I would go further and encourage you to to partner with these um, you know, I keep saying it, but these non-traditional partnerships don't necessarily look for things to be the way you expect them or a certain way, but open your eyes and and be more open to these non-traditional collaborations. And that may be partnering with someone in healthcare, you know, speak with physicians who are treating patients in different areas that, you know, align with the cause you care about and, and just have that conversation about what you'd like to do and what you, what you think is, you know, would be a good change and just start that conversation. You never know what, you know, where it could go and, and what you could do. I mean, this is a perfect example. I, you know, reached out to Dr. Anthony we started a conversation and, and I know there will be much more collaboration in the future because we are right on the same page on so many things. So I'm really excited about Absolutely. that. But to really be here Absolutely. having this this, pod, this conversation on the podcast and, you know, when I talked to him, I, I really wanted him on this episode to be able to, to share his passion and to share this book and this information and, and to hopefully spark something in, in each of you. So, um, Dr. Anthony, I appreciate your time and your energy and your effort and being here on this episode. Are, are there any final words, um, advice or, or tips or anything that you'd like to leave for our listeners before we wrap it up? Uh, yeah, you know, like what Winston Churchill used to say, we will never, 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 never give up. There, there, yes. There's no reason to give up in the war against uh, obesity and diabetes. I think it's absolutely feasible to win it. But we have to push the issues. Schools and the workplace, to me, is a high priority. And uh, focusing on sitting, restricting sitting, no more than six hours of sitting, uh, taking good care of our muscle. There is uh, a good reason why the creator made us uh, one-third to 40% body weight being a muscle. So we have to use this muscle all the time and uh, restricting, severely restricting sugars. That is awesome. Well, I thank you again um, for your oh, thank time. Thank you very, very much. It oh, was wonderful. Thank you. Awesome. And I look forward to more. I know that we'll probably have uh, many more conversations and collaborations in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Take care. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Um, Dr. Pothalakis had so much information to share and so many validation points for a lot of us. Uh, if you're listening in and, and thinking about what can I do with my degree and where can I take action? If you're not inspired by listening to him, I don't know what can inspire you, what can spark you to action. But he really had a, a lot of great key, you know, takeaways from this. And one of the things I wanted to just mention here was he said that, you know, targeting sitting and sugar, you know, reducing the sitting, getting up, moving more and and getting rid of the sugar. Those will really be two areas to focus on. You know, that's a great place. If you're looking for a way to jump in and, and take action in, the, in a community level, you can pick either one of those and advocate for it and get involved in any sort of intervention, create something, get involved in something that's already existing, combine forces. And, you know, with an organization that's already uh, being involved and taking action community on either one of those topics, if, if any of that is of interest to you. I really encourage you to get your hands on a copy of his book. Um, 
I am just excited about the many things that will come from this. I have only begun to read some of it. Um, I recently purchased it. I'm excited to dig into it a little bit more. I have a personal interest, as you guys know, in obesity prevention and, and fighting obesity among adult populations in particular, and comorbidities, you know, diabetes um, and other obesity-related comorbidities. So I am just over the top excited about the connection. I'm looking forward to more collaboration and work with Dr. Anthony. And the link to this book, to purchase his book, will be found on the show notes page for this episode. So if you visit drchuntley.com, you know, you go to the podcast tab. And from there, just navigate to episode 64. That's the show notes page, and you'll find links to purchase the book and uh, to just learn more about the work, the, the, and start the brainstorming. Get, you know, get your ideas flowing and thinking about what you can do and taking some action. So, you guys, I appreciate you for tuning in. I appreciate you for coming back every week and being a part of this community. If you have not already subscribed, then please be sure to click the subscribe button right there in iTunes or it may be the favorite button if you're listening from another platform. Make sure you subscribe so that you don't miss any of the episodes. You'll have access to them as soon as they become available. And I will ask one more thing of you. If you are enjoying the information that you're receiving on these podcasts and you're tuning in and listening you know, regularly, please take the time to write a favorable review in iTunes. It really matters. It really does help the show rank higher, helps more people find it. And that's really important. So if you could do that, I would really appreciate it. All right, you guys, until next time, have a fantastic rest of your day. Thank you for listening to the Public Health Epidemiology Careers Podcast at drchuntley.com.